don't bad guys in uh, Bruce Willis movies watch Bruce Willis movies? Apparently not. <laughs> and, 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 and same with uh, Liam Neeson. Don't <laughs> bad guys in Liam Neeson movies watch Liam Neeson movies? Welcome to episode 81 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show all about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and more. We're recording on Tuesday, March the 4th, 2014. I'm TJ, your host, and joining me today, the air marshal of the Movie Bite plane, it's Chad Hopkins. How are you, Chad? I'm trying to save the podcast. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very bad Liam Neeson impression. No, that, that, that was not even a very bad Liam Neeson impression. <laughs> that was just not anything. Okay. Yeah, let, let's not do that again. Okay. <laughs> How's it going? It's been two weeks. It has been two weeks. <clears throat> I'm I'm oh. still struggling with this thing. I might. I mean, I'm I'm mostly over it. I I had a really bad. Like, I never felt really really sick, but my voice just completely left. Like, I couldn't. Har- I could hardly talk at all. Yeah, it was really I, bad. I need that to podcast. Well, I, I was thinking about just trying to mime it, but then I remembered this is <laughs> that's not going to work. <laughs> so, Voice processor, you could uh, communicate through Siri or something. Yeah, you you threatened to bring Mikey <laughs> on and do your own thing where you yeah, take bash over. my films or something, but, but <laughs> it never happened, so I don't know what was going on, but you did I mean, you did take over some of the movie bite uh posts, but that was for completely different separate reasons. We we've had a really I don't know how it is down there in in the balmy area of, of Dallas, Fort Worth, or wherever it is that you're at. But um, up here, we've had like, uh, we're in the frozen tundra up here. We've had a really couple of really bad weeks, and it bounces back and forth too. So it teased us on Saturday, I think it was, or might have been Friday, with really warm weather. And and then it like, it rained all day Sunday, and then it froze. It was really bad. <laughs> yeah, here it's been pretty cold. We haven't had a lot of ice or snow, but... uh. I think it was Saturday we had a high of 80, and then Sunday we were at a high of 28. Oh, you poor thing. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, and, and the biggest challenge has been my internet, which I've never had any trouble with before, but apparently this ice has been causing Comcast some trouble. So cross your fingers, we won't lose internet while we're recording this because, you know, I'm recording you over Skype, and we're talking over Skype, and that would just be bad if, if the internet died. Yes. So... You sound really good, though. I mean, everything sounds great. So uh, I think our, I think my internet's back. See, sometimes during this whole period, my internet would come back like a little bit, and and then it would just be really slow, and it was really frustrating. Ah, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, enough of that. Okay. Let's talk about the Muppets. Are you, you, you are you ready to dance a jig over there over this? Uh, my Kermit, my Kermit impression's a little better. Oh, I hope Kermit the Frog here. Kermit the Frog here. No, that's even that's way better. <laughs> I was I was Kermit for Halloween a couple years ago. Okay, yeah, m- mine is like a little too high. Like it doesn't have the right quality. My voice doesn't have the right qualities for that. I've right. never been good at impressions. Well, anyway, so the reason I wanted to talk about the Muppets, I put this in the show notes, and you made a little happy face next to it. I did. He, he, I'm happy. You like the Muppets, don't you? I love the Muppets. When when did you first discover this love of the Muppets, Chad? Let me just interview you right here. <laughs> when did you discover this love for the Muppets? Well, you know, growing up, really, the only Muppets movie I watched was Muppet Treasure Island. That's what I owned, Ah. and I loved it. And then uh, got to college, and I watched it all the time with my roommate. Uh, And then a couple years ago, the new Muppets movie came out, and that's even better than Muppet Treasure Island is. And so over the past years, I've just been cultivating that love for the Muppets even further. And I actually bought the uh, combo pack of the 
Great Muppet Caper and Muppet Treasure Island last week on Blu-ray. Okay, so I assume you've seen all the Muppet movies then. I think at one point I have seen all of them, yes. And have you seen any of the original TV show? The Muppet show? A couple show? of episodes. Um, I, I got a hold of the, a few episodes a couple of years ago, but we only watched one or two before we dropped it. Okay. I, I'm fairly certain that when I was young, I've seen some episodes. I remember barely anything about it. And I feel like I've done this backwards because they would, I mean, there were things that I feel like I would have gotten better from watching the movies if I had seen the Muppet show, but maybe not. I don't know. But, um, anyway, so I've been watching the movies in anticipation of the new Muppet movie. And I I have to say like the first Muppet movie, I I always feel like you just start at the beginning, right? So I started with the first Muppet movie and I wasn't that impressed. But then I watched, Which makes me sad. Eh, I'm sorry. Then I watched The Great Muppet Caper, and it was great. I really liked The Great Muppet Caper. But then, uh, what's the what's the one that Frank Oz directed? Um, that's the third one. Um, uh, Muppets the Take Manhattan. Muppets Take Manhattan. Uh, also, not so great. Maybe a little <laughs> better than the first film. I, that I, one, I I don't remember Muppets Take Manhattan very well. I haven't seen that in years. But uh, I think my opinion on the first two is a little bit opposite yours. Okay. I love the first one. Uh, the second one I actually just watched for the first time in years last week, and uh, it, it was kind of boring. Wait, okay, wait. Say, as, as, say what? As boring, as boring as a Muppets movie could be. Hang on, I'm, I'm frantically Googling to confirm which one I... Because I've watched them too close together. Okay, Okay. The, the, the Great Muppet Caper is the one I'm referring to. Yeah, okay, so you, what, what did you like? Did you not like uh, John Cleese? Cleesey? I think oh, I, John Cleese is great. Um, I, I don't know. It, the songs weren't very memorable, and I think that's a big part of the comedy that I latch on to. Mm. Um, past the first song, which I thought was great. There were some other- Everything else, uh, I, I, I don't know if I could sing you any of them right now. I'm looking. I thought there were some other cameos, but I may have it confused with... Uh... There's only like three cameos in Great Muppet Caper. I was sort of, yeah, sort of okay. surprised because that's what the Muppet movies are known for. Right. No, yeah. That's always been the the, uh, the uh, cameos. Oh, oh, I remember who, uh, who I'm thinking of, although it's not necessarily... I don't know how well known he was, but Jack Warden was in The Great Muppet Caper. He uh-huh. is uh, in one of my favorite all-time... Oh, this is going to get me in so much trouble. Uh, just <laughs> favorite... Okay, if 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 I were to happen to like one or two chick flicks, okay? He's in <laughs> maybe my... What would be, if I did, perhaps my favorite one uh, starring Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman while you were sleeping from 1995. <laughs> See, he, was, uh, he was Saul in that film. Oh, come on, seriously, though. I, mean, I, I don't typically like chick flicks, but this is, this is a different kind of a chick flick. If you haven't okay. seen While You Were Sleeping, be sure. I mean, that's, I, I love that film. We watch okay. it every, it's, it's a kind of a Christmas film, or, or it's set at Christmas time, so we tend to watch it at Christmas. So anyway, uh, my wife really likes it. Uh, my, my wife likes it. Come on, man. Uh, okay. Okay, yeah. I, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> so so I've been watching these Muppet movies, and I'm, I'm really excited to get, uh, and so, so let me tell you what's in my Netflix queue right now. What's coming next, uh, if this ice will ever dissipate and the mail can actually be delivered, is uh, Kermit's Swamp Years. But they they haven't shipped that yet because they haven't received my my previous Netflix and none of these are available on Watch Now. I had to subscribe to the DVD just to get these. Um, but then I'm wondering I'm wondering if I should just go ahead and bump up the Muppets from what 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 year was that with James uh, Jason Siegel and Amy uh, Jason Segal and Amy Adams. Siegel. Siegel. Yeah, it's two E's. Yeah, they're okay. Yeah, there's somebody though. Something you're thinking Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Action star with the ponytail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no. Anyway, so I'm wondering if, have you seen Kermit Swamp Years? No, I've ne- actually don't think I've ever heard of it. Hmm. 
Okay. Uh, let's, oh, 2002 is when that came out. Okay. You know something interesting? Uh, I only knew it in my head, but I could not tell when they switched to Steve Whitmire because, uh, because uh, uh, what's his name? What's the guy? Uh, Jim Henson. Jim Henson. Thank you. <laughs> my stupid brain. Uh, I, 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 when he died, of course, they had to tap somebody else. And so Steve Whitmire is Kermit's voice now. And I couldn't tell the difference really once in a while, maybe just like, eh, I can kind of tell, but it's kind of, so I don't know whether yeah, to- I think it's pretty close, but I think if I go back, like if I watch the newest Muppets movie and then I go back to the first Muppets movie, there's a really big gap there. Though I, th- I think that the essence of the voice is still the same. I can definitely yeah. tell that it has changed. And this is how much I geek out about movies. What's interesting to me, I mean, sometimes I can just like when I get into something, I'm, What's interesting to me is in these new Muppet movies that I haven't seen yet, that even though Frank Oz is still alive and still acting, they didn't bring him him in to do uh, Fozzie or Miss Piggy. Uh, who, uh-huh. who's, who's doing that? I, I don't remember now, but it's like, why wouldn't you? Um, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think it's the studio not asking him. I think it's just him getting old and wanting to sort of move on after voicing the character for 30 years. Yeah, that could be. I'm looking now, uh, the Muppets with Amy Adams. So... Steve Whitmire does Kermit. Eric Jacobson does Miss Piggy, Fozzie, Animal, Sam the Eagle. You are all weirdos. Um, <laughs> okay, so they still got the same guy doing Gonzo. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll we'll move on because we have a lot to talk about. But uh, yeah. I've been, uh, you know, getting into the Muppet lore a little bit. Since you mentioned Sam the Eagle, I just thought I'd brag about the shirt I just purchased. It's a Captain America and Sam the Eagle crossover. <laughs> and it, it's the greatest thing. I'm pulling up a picture so I can send it to you and you can enjoy it with me. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm just waiting, waiting that to come in the mail. And it's, I'm pretty excited. Cool. Well, send me that picture and I will make sure it gets in the show notes. I may have seen this. Did you post it on the social media somewhere this past week or something? I think I commented about it on Twitter. Okay. And so you might've clicked through. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, uh, we should uh, talk about something that happened this past week that you were probably more into than me. Believe it or not, one, one of these years I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually watch the Oscars, but uh, I would rather watch the movies than watch the Oscars. I don't know what it is. But anyway, so, so there were some Oscars this past week on Sunday. And uh, what did you think? You watched the show, right? You watched the whole thing. I did. Yeah, what did you I, think? I, I did. You know, it was pretty fun. Um, Ellen did a pretty good job. I actually thought that Seth MacFarlane was funnier uh, last year when he hosted. See, now that's controversial. <clears throat> Excuse me, my that voice is. is still not <clears throat> back to normal. <clears throat> so that that's controversial because a lot of people like Ellen better just because she was not as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What did I write about it earlier this week? My my brain is so fried. Uh, but anyway, it's like a lot, people are kind of split on that. Like some some people are with you. They're like, yeah, it's, it's really fun. Uh, Seth MacFarlane was fun and we don't care that he was, you know, kind of a jerk. And then other people are like, oh no, Ellen's, you know, uh, way, way better. So, um, uh-huh. I don't know. And you, you tended to like, uh, Seth McFarlane better. Yeah. I just thought he was funny all around. Um, Ellen was definitely a lot more family friendly. I think you could say, and, but a few of her jokes fell flat on me. There was one in particular where that she always, that always happens with those. Yeah. Well, there was this one part where she purchased, she ordered pizza. And that's the big and, gag uh, though, right? Yeah. That was the big gag. And I didn't think it was funny at all. It, no. it it was like a big time waster. You win some, you lose some is the way I look at that. Yeah. Um, I watched, uh, I watched the opening uh, bit with Ellen and I liked, I liked that. Uh, to yeah, me, that I was mean, good. 
For me, uh, Seth MacFarlane, the stuff that I watched him last year, I didn't watch the whole thing through, but it felt over the top. It felt uh, too much, like he was trying too hard or something. And it was too much about him. I think that's what a lot of people picked up on with Seth MacFarlane, is that there was some way in which he was always able to bring the conversation or the the, the show back to how he was the host. It's like, that's not what you're here for. So, you know. I mean, he was asked to do it again this year, and he turned it down. Well, not not surprising, Um, given that a lot of people hated him. I think he said he said as much. Basically, he's like, you know, it was fun, and I I will do it again maybe sometime if they ask. But I just I want to take you know, I want to take some time out from that. Yeah. So you know, uh, here I found what I wrote. Um, uh, Seth MacFarlane hosted last year, and while he was not universally hated, many think that he was way too low class. The universal opinion is that DeGeneres has much more class, but was not overly stuffy. And that's yeah, kind of well, what I picked up on. For example, in McFarland's opening bit, he sang a song called We Saw Your Boobs, and it was definitely supposed to be uh, humorous. Awful. Uh, and But a lot of people took offense to it. I didn't take as much. I, I don't know that I took offense to it, because I, I did watch that, because that was a big thing that went around. And I don't know that I took offense to it as much as I just thought, that's just tacky. This is really low class. You know, I get what he's trying to do there, and he's trying to say, you know, guys, you know, you know button it up or whatever, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just felt that I... I would be more of the opinion that was just tacky, like, ugh, yuck. (laughs) Anyway. All right, well, so the Oscar winners, Best Picture, went to 12 Years a Slave, which, uh, sadly, I have not seen. Uh, You've seen it, though. I have, and I'm glad. Um, You know, I went to an Oscar party with uh, a few of my friends, and we had a ballot that we filled out, and they did a sort of competition um, to see who could guess the most correct. And I didn't get the Best Picture right. I think I had gravity down just because... I couldn't decide between Wolf of Wall Street or 12 Years. I didn't think both are controversial in their own ways. And so I didn't know if people would go with one of those or if they'd go with the safe choice, which is Gravity, which won all the technical awards that it was nominated for. Yeah, yeah. Um, So uh, it was a bit of a toss up, but I'm glad that I was wrong. I'm glad 12 Years a Slave won, even though I did like Gravity. Um, And I'm, I'm happy with a lot of the awards that went away went out so what's your opinion on uh matthew mcconaughey winning best actor with dallas buyers club versus uh leonardo dicaprio that's been a big topic of conversation lately well since i haven't seen either film i can't comment on it except that i i'm surprised because you know a few years ago if somebody told me that matthew mcconaughey be walking away with an oscar in his hands in a couple of years i i would have said no way speaking of chick flicks mr chick flick himself right exactly i mean (laughs) who who would have seen this coming i don't think anybody did no i don't think so pulled it off he's got i think two movies over the past couple years uh the last one was mud that are very critically acclaimed and uh but it feels to me able to walk away with a word this time it feels to me like somebody like has it out for for um for for leonardo (laughs) dicaprio i mean not that i've seen the film that he was nominated for but i mean i just feel like he's done so many great roles over the years and i know regardless of my feelings about the film that he was nominated for i know that he did a great job in that film so it just i don't know like when is the guy when is the poor just give the poor guy an oscar already (laughs) i've heard a couple of opinions from friends um one at the party I was at said that they want him to win, but they didn't want him to win for this film, maybe just because of the type of film it is. Yeah, and um, that maybe. And then the I, I've heard somebody else say that, you know, he deserved to win for Django Unchained. I'm not saying that the guy who did win didn't deserve it, but he definitely deserved it. And somebody said that if he stopped doing all these suit and tie roles, 
um, then he might stand a chance. Do more of his uh, more roles along the lines of what's in Django. He was really he's more different. Yeah, uh, he was because, really I mean, great look, in Django. If you look at his track record, you've got uh, Catch Me If You Can, Suit and Tie. You've got uh, Great Gatsby, and you've got Wolf of Wall Street. Those are all this. I'm not going to say the same sort of character because that's not true, but they're all these suit and tie roles. Yeah. And if he just sort of broke away from that a little bit more and just stayed as great an actor as he is, I think he might stand a little bit more of a chance. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, it's weird because everybody seems to think he should get it and yet he never does. So. <laughs> yeah. Go figure. So best actress, Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine, another film that I haven't seen. Are we seeing a trend here? It's just, I feel bad, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's hard to see all these films. Yeah. So anyway, so Kate Blanchett always, anything I've ever seen her in, she's always been great. So I'm sure that was deserved. Um, Jared Leto for Dallas Buyers Club. I don't even really know who Jared Leto is. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything. Me neither. So uh, Lupita, Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, Twelve Years a Slave. This is this is a big one. Like everybody, she was a supporting actress, and so you know everybody's been talking about that and how great of a job she did. And it's interesting. She was in the film, one of the films we're going to review today. Yeah, and you know I'm so glad she won this award. I was pulling for her. I would have been so upset if Jennifer Lawrence had beat her. Not because I don't like Jennifer Lawrence, but because the role Jennifer Lawrence was nominated for was not a spectacular role. Which which opinion. one was she nominated for? She was nominated for American Hustle. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, and I I, I would agree. I, I I thought her performance in American Hustle was one of the worst performances I've seen from her, as we discussed. So, right. Um. All right. So, uh, directing Alfonso Cuaron uh, of Gravity. Not surprising. He did a nope. fantastic job. Um. Uh, I'm gonna skip some of these because they're <laughs> you know just interesting and not interesting. Uh. Original screenplay. Spike Jones. Her. Uh. So that's also not surprising. That is a very original screenplay. Yes. Um, and, and if uh, you, any of our listeners want to listen to somebody on Movie Byte talking about that, be sure to check out um, uh, Movieology, which I will go ahead and put that in the show notes. I believe it was episode seven the guys talked about that. No, I'm sorry. It was episode eight. So uh, moviebyte.com slash movieology slash eight. I will go ahead and shove that into the show notes here so that you can uh, grab that. Okay. Uh, let's see. Moving on. Uh <laughs> cinematography gravity sound mixing gravity sound editing gravity <laughs> original score gravity Stephen price uh um wasn't there another gravity film editing gravity <laughs> so and not surprising <laughs> and it was my favorite from 2014 so um i was oh you missed one visual effects visual effects gravity so gravity won a lot of awards i saw i did see some tweets on twitter of course obviously you know my twitter feed was blowing up all sunday night you know how it goes yeah. And, you know, it's like, hey, gravity wins an award. Hey, gravity wins another <laughs> award. Hey, it's gravity. Wow, this gravity's really working. It, it worked on Jennifer Lawrence. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think gravity walked away with all the awards it was nominated for, save for best picture and best uh, best actress. Yeah. Yep. So uh, not not surprising to me, though, either. So no. there's some other goodies in here. Check out the article linked up in the show notes. I don't think there's really any surprises um, really to speak of. So. Uh, no article will be in the show notes you have anything else to say about the oscars no it was fun looking forward to next year hopefully i'll be a little bit more prepared next year yeah maybe next year i'll try to watch is there a way to watch though if you don't have cable um, is it online? i don't know i think streaming? they actually i think they live streamed it this year for the first time okay well there you go maybe so, next year is the year for to. me to get into it yeah okay here we go this rumor i don't know how to feel about this rumor chad you you might recall that I think that the Matrix may possibly be 
in, in it's hard to say this because I'm going to get flagged for it. It may possibly be uh, it's certainly my favorite movie. It may possibly be one of the best movies ever made, I think. And it's it's more and more looking to me like that was a fluke from the Wachowski uh siblings. Um because <laughs> they haven't made a movie nearly as good since that time. I'm not, I'm not sure what what that means or what that what all that implies here, but the rumor is that we're going to get a new Matrix trilogy, um, possibly prequels, um, is is kind of what the rumor is. So this is according to Kelvin Chavez over at Latino Review. The Wachowski siblings have a very long history over at Warner Brothers, but with the exception of the Matrix trilogy, none of their movies have had great financial success. And this is me, TJ, adding to that. I would say that their biggest financial success, of course, was the original Matrix film. The other two, I think, were successful, but not nearly as much so. Anyway, Speed Racer slash Cloud Atlas tanked, and let's not kid ourselves by the looks of it, Jupiter Ascending will not be much better. We've been told that the Wachowskis have already started the writing process, uh, they're referring to the Matrix, new Matrix trilogy, with early treatments and outlines already turned into the studio. No word if they will want to direct, but if they will want to direct, but my money says... Oh boy, this is Spanish, and I have no idea. Claro QC. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that means they will. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I'm not sure of the translation. You, you're closer to Mexico down there. Come on, help me out here. <laughs> claro que sí. I can say it for you. <laughs> oh, there you go. Whatever that means. Uh, I bet Google Translate has an answer for that. I'm sure I I'm look. Pulling that up right now. Uh, da, 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 da. Does Claro que sí mean? Uh, of course. That's what it translates to. There you go. Gotcha. We're we're such uh such language buffs. <laughs> uh, okay. So I'm not sure how to feel about this because I'm I yeah, I certainly don't want the debacle that the second Matrix film was. Even though I still watch it and enjoy it, it was not. It was such a disappointment on so many levels. The third film. Contrary to popular opinion, I felt like came back a little bit, but then you know they they made Cloud Atlas, and I've decided I will never forgive them for making that film. <laughs> what do you think? I haven't seen the no. Matrix. Oh <laughs> no! <laughs> I, I knew that was coming. I was scared to say it, but Ugh. there was no avoiding it. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, the TJ. problem the problem now is that I have overhyped it for you, and then you're gonna you're gonna walk away. <laughs> oh, you know, this is a stupid movie. So, and I don't know. If, I don't even know if I. I don't even know if I want you to watch it because our friendship might be in jeopardy. This this might be bad if you watched it and didn't like it. I don't, yeah, I don't think we could get over it. I I think it would be a roadblock for us. Just saying, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah. So anyway, um, I'm not sure the Wachowskis can pull this off, but if they do, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I want it to be good. I want more Matrix because I love the. I love everything going on in the Matrix world. So, you know, it's a sci-fi film, and I love sci-fi, and I certainly love The Matrix. So that's that's all I have to say about that. Okay. All right, Chad, here we are. We have two movies to review this week because we missed last week. Yes. So let's dive into The Monuments Men. Okay. The Monuments Men opened in theaters on February the 7th, 2014. It had a budget of $70 million. It opened to the tune of $22 million. The total gross worldwide is $104.9 million as of uh, a few minutes ago when I pulled that off of Box Office Mojo. 
So Rotten Tomatoes says of the critical acclaim, its intentions are noble and its cast is impressive, but neither can compensate for the Monuments Men's stiffly nostalgic tone and curiously slack narrative. I could not have said that better myself. <laughs> and and I will read also this one. Uh, it was it's one of the top uh, uh, pull quotes from one of the reviews down there uh, when you scroll down on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. And, and this guy says, this is William Goss over at film.com. He says, a frustratingly flat film that drifts from moment to moment with a curious lack of urgency and an overbearing sense of self-importance. Said even better. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> a little hint of things to come. Uh, directed by George Clooney, written by George Clooney and Grant Heslov, uh, who wrote the screenplay, and uh, Robert M. Edsel and Bet- Brett Witter wrote the book. Uh, it stars George Clooney, Matt Damon, Bill Murray, Kate Blanchett, John Goodman, and uh, Jean Dujardin. Yeah, there you go. Say it again. Jean Dujardin. Okay. Uh, music by Alexander Desplat. Which the, the music was okay. The music was fine. Yeah, I've got the soundtrack. I really like it. Way better than the uh, the music that John Ottman put forth for the film we we're going to talk about after this one. Yeah, I don't like John Ottman. <clears throat> yeah. So, Chad, tell us a little bit uh, about the story here. Okay. Based on the true story of the greatest treasure hunt in history, The Monuments Men is an action drama focusing on an unlikely World War II platoon tasked by FDR with going into Germany to rescue artistic masterpieces from Nazi thieves and returning them to their rightful owners. It would be an impossible impossible mission. With the art trapped behind enemy lines and with the German army under orders to destroy everything as the Reich fell. How could these guys, seven museum directors, curators, and art historians, all for, all more familiar with Michelangelo than the M1, possibly hope to succeed? But as the Monuments Men, as they were called, found themselves in a race against time to avoid the destruction of a thousand years of culture, they would risk their lives to protect and defend mankind's greatest achievements. So that is the studio synopsis. And to me, that encapsulates the very self-importance behind this film that is just so overbearing that that william goss mentioned from film.com uh so yeah i I, (laughs) chad i did not like this film very much me neither and i was sad Uh, i I saw the trailers in the months leading up to it and i i was actually kind of excited for it i thought it had the chance to be really good and they squandered that chance i i agree completely because the concept i think of this film was a good one now, and I've, I've also learned, even since I've written my review, I've read a few things talking about, uh, hey, you know what, this this film is not even as true to life as they want you to think. Because they really tried to draw that connection, too. Especially at the end of the film, they would show the picture of the guy, you know, like like of, of uh, George Clooney, and then the character, although a different name, but supposedly the character that his, his character was based on, right? And they would do that with all the characters. Uh-huh. And then come to find out, as I've been reading a little bit more about this film, it was pretty much completely fictionalized. Just completely and totally, and and it's just frustrating. Like, wh- yeah. why? Why even try? Why why not just say it's this is fictional? This is uh, hi- historical fiction. If, if yeah, it I is, mean, it. I think the concept is based on reality, and they they stayed pretty true to that. I mean, the whole idea is that there was this task force during World War II who was assigned to protect art, and. Uh, I guess they just didn't do a very good job of communicating that. I mean, obviously all the characters, all the events that do take place that are shown in the film are fictionalized, but I think it's the concept that quote unquote is true. Yeah. I mean, there was a, a task force that, uh, you, you know, was, was charged with trying to preserve, uh, 
art, although I think it was actually more monuments than than the art, because we saw a lot about the art. Uh, uh-huh. And it was monuments and historical locations and things that they were trying to preserve, is my understanding in real life. So, so yeah, I think it was those, um, you know, those locations and more, more than kind of the art is. It was my understanding as I was reading more about the actual historical events. But that aside, I mean, you, to me, this film has a lot of star power here. Um, yeah, you've got George Clooney, you've got Matt Damon, Bill Murray, John Goodman, Kate Blanchett, and they all feel very much squandered. Like, what yeah. were they even doing? What happened? You yeah, know? and uh, Jean Dujardin should be mentioned. Uh, he's not like a huge actor, but he did win the Academy Award for Best Actor in 2012 for The Artist. Okay. So, yes, uh, across the board, it's supposed to be a stellar cast. Now, what I will say, I mean, we should talk about some things we like, I guess. Um, and what I will say <laughs> is that the... Uh, it's kind of like a no no frills and no fuss film. I mean, there's not a lot of CGI. There's not a lot of uh, beefing up the film with, you know, action. There's nothing crazy that really happens. And, uh, you know, the focus is, you know, on the, the kind of this primary objective, is the art really worth it? And the answer is yes. I mean, I liked I liked the that approach to the film. Um, I liked that it didn't, you know, feel the need to make some sort of, um, uh, crazy, you know, shoot them up. I mean, they had a couple of scenes. Obviously, it's war, but it, right. it wasn't like about the war. You know, the shoot em up scenes. It was about the question: Is the preservation of culture and art uh, worth it? You know, art art shows where the culture has been, uh, kind of what the, a culture represents. You know, in significance of the culture that produced that art. You know, um, in, in in what compels men to create art in the first place, and and you know. And that should be preserved. And so I like that approach. You know, I, I think that the, like I said, the intentions of this film are noble. Um, you know, and even though I'm not like a great uh, connoisseur of of art or whatever, I don't even think that's the right term, connoisseur. <laughs> that would be more right. related appreciator. to food. appreciator of art. Um, you know, <clears throat> I, uh, I I can certainly understand the significance of it. I guess, and and so, I, uh, you know, on that level, I I appreciated the film. That that's that's the compliment I will give this film. <laughs> well, and you know, I think overall, my my rating isn't indiv- indicative of this, but I think I did enjoy sitting in the theater and watching this movie. Whether the film itself was of the highest highest quality, or the characters were very good, or even all the actors were very good, which they weren't. Um, I think just sitting in the theater watching this take place, I did enjoy sitting there, but there's just so many flaws and so many issues with uh, some of the cast, the the story, the transitions between scenes. It, it's just a what mess transitions? of the film. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's uh, just a complete mess. So you don't even have anything that you, you can't even talk about anything good about this film without moving into your dislikes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here, let me look at my notes. Um, I thought that all the characters were very likable, except Bill Murray. Um, yeah. Bill Murray felt like he was there for a paycheck. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I felt about Bill Murray. I, I mean, I felt like all the actors phoned it in a little bit, except for Kate Blanchett, who, as always, is exceptional in, in whatever role she plays. Um, even if I felt like her character was not written very well, I, I felt like she did a tremendous uh, amount of work and it did a great job with the role she was given. Um, yeah. and, and it's interesting, you know, Kate Blanchett, uh, plays all these interesting roles. She's been a, uh, I mean, she's from Australia, right? She's an Australian actress. She's played an elf from middle earth. 
Uh, let's see, she played a Soviet psychic working with German Nazis in uh, in another horrible film. Um, you know, huh. she played the all-American uh, actress Catherine Hepburn. Uh, you know, and then the uh, proper um, English uh, lady Gertrude uh, Chiltern. I can't even. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but that was from uh, an Ideal Husband. I mean, she's kind of been all over the map, and it's interesting to. I mean, it's just the work of a great actress, you know. To, and now she's a French woman, uh, and, and uh-huh. sounded completely and perfectly French. I mean, it was it was pretty amazing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought she was okay. Yeah, just okay. <laughs> I I mean, maybe it's just because I didn't like the character. Or, or, well, uh, like I said, I felt like the character's writing was bad. Uh, but yeah. I think that her as the actress playing that French woman was probably the most enjoyable part of the film for me, which is sad <laughs> because I wanted yeah. to like more of the film. Right. So so some of my issues, um, as, as we kind of alluded to, um, I think we alluded to it, or maybe I was just thinking it while you were saying something, but um, – <laughs> This is supposed to be an ensemble film, and the very first thing they do almost immediately is break this uh, crew up into, like, twos, ones and twos, and they go off on these little mini-adventures, and, and there's no sense of camaraderie. There's no sense of the ensemble. Right. It's, there's very little to play off of. I mean, think of an ensemble film. I, mean, I hate to make this comparison, but, I mean, it's the first thing that comes to mind now Now that it's out. When you think of an ensemble film, you think of The Avengers because that's yes. the ultimate ensemble film. And what happened in that film? I know it's a completely different genre. Stay with me. Um, <laughs> so what happened in that film? These people are all apart and disparate, and they're brought together by the events. This film brings them all together within the first 15 minutes – they're all together. They're all an ensemble, and then they're like just thrown and flung apart, and then kind of come back together for this big thing at the end, and then it's gone. And it's just like there's no sense of camaraderie. There's no sense of anything going on here. I, there's no. I, I never felt any bond or connection between these guys. Um, there was there was no mutual respect and admiration. I mean, like it failed on every level to convey that which it was supposed to convey. Yeah, and even the the duos, I thought. Um uh, apart from it not being the full ensemble together, the duos didn't play off of each other very well. No, For example, you had uh, Bill Murray's character uh, paired with the guy with the glasses. I don't know that actor's name. Um, yeah, I don't remember which one that is. Yeah, but um, they have this sort of animosity toward each other for no reason, and it's never explained. It's never resolved in a good way. Um, or in any way. Well, there's that whole awful scene where he plays the record over the the loudspeakers while he's taking a shower. Yeah, and I would have I would have seen that as an act of spite. Yeah, I mean it, it didn't make any sense that, in the yeah. context of the moment, but I think that's what they were trying to communicate. Was this a little, there's a little bit of reconciliation from this character to the other, and it right. just doesn't make sense or work. Yeah, no, totally. I get that that's what they're going for, but to me, I'd be sitting here going, "This guy's playing my personal message over the loudspeaker for the whole camp to hear." I'm not. An yeah, ex- and. And what if it wasn't a song? <laughs> yeah, that uh, yeah, was horrible. Um, y- you know, uh, let's see. I'm looking. So um, the, the whole part with the like unexploded landmine, um, you know, and so uh, oh, yeah. Lieutenant Granger steps on that landmine and he calls in George Clooney's character, Lieutenant Stokes, and uh, he proceeds to ask, why would you? He says, you know, I stepped on a landmine. He says, why would you do that? You know, and it's a little bit funny, right? Ha ha. And then, um, you know, it's kind of comedic relief. And then in walks uh, John Goodman's Walter Garfield, and he asked the exact same question, right? Why would you do that? And and he says, you guys have been spending entirely too much time together. Only they haven't. They haven't spent any time together at all. What sense right. does that make? 
I just don't understand. What, yeah. What film were they? Did they think they were making? <laughs> yeah. Has, has Clooney directed before? Yeah, I think he has. Let's see. Uh, that that is a good question. I I don't know if I did that due diligence. Hang on. George um, Clooney. Uh, actor, seventy-one credits. Producer, twenty-nine credits. Director, six credits. The Monuments Men. The Ideas of March. Leatherheads. Good night and good luck. Uh, unscripted TV series and Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Those are his six okay. directing credits. Gotcha. So yeah, I mean, maybe uh, and, and and you know sometimes I mean you can't completely blame stuff like this on the director. This could be a script problem that he was working around, but um, he did help write the script. So yeah, I was about coming, to say he wrote the script, TJ. That back, doesn't yeah, work. <laughs> it's coming back to him. So uh, yeah, it was really bad script writing. I felt like. Yeah, um, one of the best examples of how poorly the script was written was in an early scene where they're in the art museum, and uh, he's like, "Ah, yes, champagne. Join me. Grab a glass." <laughs> right? Yeah, it's it so painful. It was pretty painful. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, so, so kind of the bad writing that I alluded to for Claire, which was the character played by uh, Kate Blanchett, um, is. Uh, I never felt the connection that they wanted us to feel between her and uh, Granger, uh, Matt Damon. Oh, and um, part of it, I think, is we didn't spend while those characters did spend time together um, more than some of the others did. I think we did. We as an audience did not see enough of that time spent together to feel any sort of attachment. No, and they kind of went straight from hating each other to hey, let's let's have Kate Blanchett make a pass at him. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, and you know, her character's motivations I don't think made any sense. Uh, she was trying to hide this information because she didn't trust him. But who does she trust more? This American guy who says he's trying to help, or the German who just stole all of her art? And uh, yeah, I never it, got why she hated him so much. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it might have just been like a, a sort of maternal thing where she's wanting to take care of her her art, like she's in charge of taking control of it, but uh, and taking care of it. But um, and then as soon as the German guy who steals it all earlier, oh, he's gone now. I trust you, and that doesn't it just doesn't make sense to me. No, it made very little sense. I mean, that was a problem throughout this this film is that it didn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and and uh, I think self-important is a great word to kind of describe how this film film feels about itself. It feels like it's very important, and it's not. It, it just doesn't get there. It never does anything like you no. know important. And you know, the main argument I think it's trying to make is is all the sacrifice is is it worth the sacrifice to save this art? Yeah, and, and while that's I think thing. overall is yes, but I don't think the film a the film didn't communicate it very well. Exactly. Uh, and two, they almost convinced me otherwise in in some scenes, like uh, when he, the one guy was trying to save the, the the main statue that they're trying to search for the whole film. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, I know which one you're talking uh, about. I'm I'm so bad at art. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to look it up again. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. It it, it, it completely he, failed he, to he communicate. He sacrifices himself and. In the moment, what? it does not feel like it's worth it at no, all. I never mean, felt I think, like it was worth it. I think that the concept should be, is sacrifice worth it to save art as a whole and like as a big blanket? Yes. Over individual pieces like that, I think they have to be a little bit more discerning and they weren't. Yeah. And, and I would say that the answer to the question the film is asking is yes, the art is worth trying to save and preserve. 
But the film never communicates that very well. It, it, it never answers that question. It asks the question, and it never really answers it. You know, George uh-huh. Clooney gives his little speech at the end of the president. We did this and this and this and this, and we saved this and this, and we've got all the art back as much as we, of it as we can, and blah, 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 and here it is. It's like, okay, great, but you didn't ever actually tell us why that was important. You felt it really important to ask that question, but you right. never answered it. <laughs> and then And then when the president basically asks him that same question, uh, it transitions to this awful scene where he's 30 whatever years older and you don't know whether it's him or not. And he just says, yes. Yeah, no, it was awful. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, that statue uh, sculpture is the Madonna of Bruges. The Madonna, yes. Madonna and child. Yes. Well, that's uh, that's pretty much all I have to say about this film. I'm, I'm glad we're talking about two films this week because that's, that's really it. Have you got anything yeah, else? Same here. I mean, like I said, I did enjoy – bits and pieces of the film. I think some of the characters charisma did carry it and make it a little bit better than it would have been otherwise. Um, like I like John Goodman. I think, I think he oh, was sure. one of the better performers here. He's been a uh, lot of fun lately. Yeah. Over the past few years, he's been very busy. And, yeah, uh, I didn't used to like John Goodman, but he's just, he's something, something that's changed or maybe I've changed or maybe, maybe, uh, I, I don't know. Something's different. It seems like to me, maybe I'm just paying more attention. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've, I, I think there are very few redeeming qualities about this film. John Goodman being one of them. Overall, the film is just a pain to watch through. Yeah. I, th- I think my issues with John Goodman are really more, have more to do with Roseanne and he's getting more distance from that now. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, horrible TV show. Um, oh, I, I do remember one other thing that it's a, it's a complaint, of course, um, <laughs> that just kind of really bugged me. Like, okay. So the premise here of, of the film is, these guys are going around having to go around. Like, like I said, they have orders from FDR, and they take these orders to these generals and these colonels and the majors and all, you know, the commanding officers, and they all say, "Heck no, we're not helping you do that thing where we, that we've been told to help you do. You, we're not, we're not, we do not care about the art. We're just gonna, we're just here to win the war, and we're not here to obey orders. We're whatever." Right, right. I mean, there's, they're, they're signed by the president. Right. It made no sense. Made no not sense. At all. None. <laughs> awful awful premise yeah i mean right. i i know everybody likes to likes the kind of the underdog story and hey you know we were rebellious and we did this thing without you you know i mean uh-huh. i don't know it wasn't quite that but it, it was almost like they're trying to make it that I, yeah. I, I don't know. But, but but tj stories need conflict mm, <laughs> no Let, let's go with no they don't okay. always have to have conflict i agree <clears throat> <laughs> okay, so given this uh, high point of the podcast, <laughs> what would we rate this wonderful, wonderful film? I'm sitting at it two. And I saw you typing. I didn't see what you typed before, but I saw you changing it. What did you change? What was it before? Well, I, I didn't change it. I just spaced it out so it didn't become a weird fraction. Okay, yeah. I have never liked – this is a writing thing. This is me as a writer. I have never liked the look of of the closed-up spaces between the slash. So I always, whoops, I always, I always put spaces in between. Anyway, that's yeah. boring. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I give the film also two out of five stars. I mean, it's, it's not like, it's, it, it's not like I could never, ever watch this again. It's like, I would not choose to watch this again. Yeah, I can't recommend it. That That's kind of why two, you know, two and a half would be neutral. And I feel a little bit more negatively about it than that. So two out of five stars. Yes. IMDb is a little bit more gracious uh, overall. Their uh, user reviews uh, or their user ratings would be 6.3 out of 10. 
Um, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, on the other hand, the audience is at 52%, so a little closer to the middle. The critics really don't like it at all, 34%. And uh, the the one critic that I I read, William Goss, I pretty much agree with that. That one sentence sums up everything I think we've been talking about. Yes. It was a really, really well written sentence. And one day when I grow up, I want to write like that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's Monuments Men. May it rest in peace and may we never watch it again. <laughs> so shall we talk about a film now? Since we missed uh, missed a week, we have two films to talk about. Shall we talk about one that I certainly enjoyed much more? Sadly. Yes. Did you enjoy it much more? I did. I really enjoyed the movie Liam Neeson on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> wait that's what it's called right uh, no i think this is called non-stop it was released to theaters uh, february the 28th just a few days ago at a budget of 50 million it opened to 28.8 million and the total worldwide gross is 50.8 million so it has now made its production budget back and i expect it to have a decent week next week yeah. uh rotten tomatoes says uh while Liam Neeson is undoubtedly an asset, nonstop wastes its cast, not to mention its solid premise and tense setup on a poorly conceived story that hinges on a thoroughly unbelievable final act. I don't agree with that at all. I agree with small parts of it. Right. But, but overall, the overall sense is, boy, they really hated this film. And I, no, yeah. I'm not there at all. Uh, no. Directed by, oh boy, I, I was trying to pronounce this earlier and it's completely gone. J- J- you want to give it a try? Uh, it's French, so I don't know if my pronunciation would be great. Uh, Jean-Mer Colissera. Okay, that's there not, you go. That, that's, that's probably too would, Spanish sounding. I would but. never have come up with that from that spelling of the, those three names. Okay, writers, John W. Richardson uh, and Ryan Engel. Why is John W. Richardson I don't twice? Know. That's really strange. Twin uh, brother with the same name. Hang on, I'm looking to see if I uh, missed that, messed that up. Yes, I did. Uh, Christopher Roach. So John W. Richardson, Christopher Roach, and Ryan Engel, starring Liam Neeson as Bill Marks, Julianne Moore as Jen Summers, Scoot McNary as Tom Bowen, Michelle Dockery as Nancy, Nate Parker as Zach White, Corey Stoll as Austin Riley, Lupita Nyong'o as Gwen, and Omar Metwali as Dr. Fahim Nasir. Music by John Ottman, whom you you don't like. I don't. What uh, what other films has he scored? Give us give us a little taste. Superman Returns, which I I have nothing against that film. TJ, I Good. do not like the music. I think the music is actually fine. Yeah, it's because he's borrowing John Williams stuff there. But I I didn't like. Well, I'm talking about the, the actual the actual score though. Even because he really only borrows Williams for the for the theme. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe I need to listen to it again, but uh, I just have a sour eh, taste in my mouth from that. It's not the greatest score in the world for sure, but mm-hmm. I mean, you, I mean, you're a John Williams guy, so yeah. he, the and fact well, that he borrowed Williams' theme and then went and did his own thing <laughs> probably really just irritated you. Yeah, and you know, John Ottman also does the uh, X Men movies. I believe he didn't do First Class, but he yeah, did no, do actually, right. uh, the first three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's doing uh, Day, uh, Days of Future Past too. Yeah, actually, did he do the very first one? I don't think he did. That was uh, somebody else, um, and I, uh, I forget his name. Uh, he did because John Ottman did the second one, right? X did, was it Men? John Barry? John no. Barry didn't do it. No, 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 no. no. Uh, I hate how hard this is to find on IMDb. Hang on, you got to go to the. That's why cast. I just look up Wikipedia. All it was cast. Michael Common. Michael Michael Kamen, I thought it was, but it's Common. Whatever. Yeah, and, and he did a great He's job good. of setting the tone for the, the X-Men. And then John Ottman came in behind him and really kind of – he beefed up the score a little bit and did different things with it. But it was basically a rehash of, of uh, Michael Kamen's 
um, uh, stuff. So um, I'm looking. He did X2. He did, he's doing X-Men Days of Future Past. Right. Uh, okay. He did Jack so he the Giant did, Slayer. I like that. Yeah, he works with uh, Brian, Brian Singer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I think for me, I would say more that John Ottman is just a bit, bit of a mix. Like, it's either good or bad. So, anyway, yeah. uh, the story. Bill Marks is a former cop who, after dealing with his daughter's death by drinking, is now an air marshal. While on a flight from London to New York, Marks gets a text telling him that unless $150 million is deposited to an offshore account, within 20 minutes, someone will die. He tries to tell the other air marshal, Hammond, but Hammond doesn't believe him. It's, uh, it's, that, that feels like it stopped short, but that was the synopsis that I could find. Uh, I was getting close to needing to start the podcast, so uh, that was the synopsis I found. Um, Chad, I, I this is certainly there was certainly a lot of room for improvement, but I think after seeing Monuments Men, I hate to say <laughs> it because you know a generic, somewhat generic action plane thriller starring Lisa, Liam Neeson or an important historical drama. You know what you wanted wanted to be an important important historical drama, but of the two, this was a much better, much more fun experience at the cinema. I agree. Yeah, um, this is the first film I've seen in the Liam Neeson action film genre. Really? Um, yeah, I I never seen I haven't seen the Takens. Um, Certainly, you've I seen Star Wars Episode one, one. Oh well, yes. Uh, what Star Wars is one I've seen Lego Movie. I've seen the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, when I I air quotes around Liam Neeson action movie. Like he's the star, which is basically it's an taken. action film. Yeah. Liam, so, Liam Neeson t- well, action movie is short, short is, is longhand shorthand for taken. Well, yeah, there's taken and there's the gray, right. Uh, which came out a couple years ago. But uh, in any case, I haven't seen, uh, I've, I guess the only other live action Liam Neeson movie I've seen is star Wars episode one. Well, what about uh, Batman begins? Certainly you've seen oh, Batman begins that one. I forgot that too. <laughs> So you've seen, you've seen some stuff. Come on, man. I just, uh, yeah, my uh, <clears throat> reasons fell apart. But, but anyway. so, so, so let's recap here. Um, the guy was a Jedi, right? And he what? was a seriously awesome Jedi. It was the only awesome thing about the prequels. Um, he, let's see. He was Henry uh, Dukert in Batman Begins. Uh, Decard. Decard, whatever. Uh, <laughs> trying to recap here. Yeah, bear with me. Uh, he was uh, one of the least tame lions known to mankind. Uh, he he was Brian Mills, who uh, took vengeance upon the people who took his daughter. Uh, he was Zeus in Wrath of the Titans, and he was taken himself, and he killed people responsible for that, and he was a bad cop in the Lego movie. Why, 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 why would you try to hijack this man's plane? I don't know. I think this is uh, – <laughs> I made a joke when we talked about – or I've, when I've talked about Looper before. Why would uh, bad guys uh, – don't, don't bad guys watch – uh, I'm messing this up. Don't bad guys in uh, Bruce Willis movies watch Bruce Willis movies? Apparently not. <laughs> and, 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 and same with uh, Liam Neeson. Don't bad guys in Liam Neeson movies watch Liam Neeson movies? Yeah, but but joking aside, I mean, I I feel like in in many ways, had the script been a little tighter, this would have been the perfect Liam Neeson action movie. Actually, uh, yeah. unfortunately, scripting issues kept it from being you know a four star film, but. Uh, nevertheless, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, and I was surprised because here, here's kind of how I approach this film. I went into it going, I'm going to hate this. I want to like it. I want it to be good and I'm going to hate it. That's kind of how I went into the theater. And uh-huh. I was pleasantly surprised by just how much I enjoyed it. Um, not enough to get it up to four stars by any means, but, uh, I did enjoy it a lot. Um, I, and, and surprisingly, 
uh, there was a, a good bit of mystery surrounding who exactly it was. And at, at, at one point in the film, you suspected everybody, including Liam Neeson. Yeah, I mean, they do a really good job of lining up all these very typical suspects. Like you have another cop that's on the flight. You have uh, a Muslim man. Yeah, I'm assuming he's Muslim. He looks the part. Sure. Um, And then you have uh, just a couple other guys who just look very suspicious. And you think, oh, man, it's got to be one of them. And then they even set it up. Oh, man, maybe Liam Neeson has some sort of like multiple personality disorder like in psycho or something like that and yeah, he's I, doing this maybe without realizing he's doing it or or whatever but i never uh, quite went there but i did wonder at some point is liam neeson got something else going on here and, and I, I quickly dismissed it but there was a, a moment of doubt right um and so i think they did a very good job of sort of setting our expectations for one type of criminal and then they just bring in these characters that you didn't really expect to, to be the bad guys. Yeah. And I think uh, some people have complained that it's not quite the Liam Neeson action movie they were wanting. And, and, and it's really true. It's, it's really more of a drama than it is an action movie. There's a little bit of action, but it's mostly about the, the um, figuring out, you know, how, how to resolve the situation more than it is about, you know, just shoot him up, beat him up kind of thing. Yeah. I think the trailers make it look like more of an action movie than it actually is. Yeah. And I, I that, you know, that kind of brings me to a side point. I hate the way because a lot of times the creative minds behind the movie have no control over the marketing and, and market uh-huh. the marketing department at, at whatever was this a Paramount film? I don't even remember. Anyway, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever marketing departments in general for movies do this, they'll they'll how can we best market this to X segment of people that will come to see this in the theater? And they go and do that with no regard for really not a lot of regard for what the film really is or what it's about. So I right. feel like this film was a bit mismarketed. But again, that, that, I mean, I, I know I'm not really the target demographic because I like movies in general. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, Universal for the record. Universal. OK. I knew it was one of those big companies. So, yeah, I mean, and and the thing for me, too, I think in this film that really surprised me was the emotional stakes and the emotional struggle that Bill Marks was going through. And, and it was done in a really tasteful way. Like it wasn't just. You know, all all at once at the beginning, he's, you know, this emotionally struggling guy and they lay it all out on the table and they move on. It kind of was a thread they weaved through the film, which I I really enjoyed that approach to it rather than just getting, oh, you know, this guy, his daughter died and boom, now here we go. We're off on an adventure. Yeah, they go ahead. No, go ahead. They never just outright tell the audience for the sake of telling the audience. This is this man. This is his problems. This is what he's gone through. Right. Um, they, They very subtly say, man, this guy has some hidden demons and uh, like, for example, the opening scene, you have him sitting in his car and he pours some alcohol into his coffee mug and then he smokes a cigarette and he's obviously got, he's in some sort of emotional state and uh, yeah, but they never have to like make it over exaggerated or have a conversation where he just tells everybody his problems right then and there. They, they save that for later when it's necessary for the other characters to know that information and so that was a very smart move on their part. Yeah, definitely. I, I felt like that really, really helped the film a lot. Now, speaking of the opening sequence, I still can't decide. Even since I've written my article and or my review, and I've even talked about this there, and I still am undecided whether that opening scene was brilliant or really bad and Neeson saved it. <laughs> I mean, did you, I did you not feel that? Like, they just sat on that shot, like, in the opening scene forever and ever. It yeah, was very it was long. Little- it was a little slow, and the only thing I thought was a little silly about it was that uh, he 
knew he was at an airfield and he didn't answer his phone until he stepped outside. And then, of course, he said, oh, I, I, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. And then he hangs up. Yeah. Yeah, it was obvious that was an emotional state. But I, I was I was really referring even to before that. Like, the, the yeah. very opening shot of the movie is Liam Neeson's face. And it just hangs there. And you're like, okay. Did, 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 <laughs> what, what's going on? Did, did something go wrong with the film projection? I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, in any case, Liam Neeson did a good job with it. Uh, oh, yeah. But Liam Neeson. That is a, a good question, whether it was him who saved it or whether it was actually just written well yeah liam neeson is an a-grade actor i mean he's he's really good so uh was not unhappy with him at all and and then in general this film really just did a good great job uh we've been dancing around this but just say it outright it did a really great job with the characters um yeah for the most part yeah well what 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 issues did you have you say for the most part um just toward the end of the film when you start getting into the more obscure characters some of the, the other passengers um it, they're just sort of thrown in. You don't get a lot of development from them. And one of the characters makes a very uh, large trust shift. Yeah. Um, and that I, yeah. You're in, right. Entirely justified. Um, but I do think that the two main characters, which should be uh, Bill Marks and then um, Jen Summers, Julianne Moore's character, I think those characters were done very well. Yeah, well, and even, uh, I'm trying not to spoil it here, but even the guy who was ultimately responsible and, and his yeah. cohort, they were, I think, done really well. Although one more than the other for certain. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but we, we can talk about things we don't like now as well uh, because at, for me, you know, at three out of five stars, uh, I wrote three and a half. I'm pretty sure I meant to write three. Yeah, that's not right. And mine is three. Um, <laughs> yeah, as I said, that didn't feel right. Uh, just double checking myself there. So yeah, at three out of five stars, I mean, there's still some things to complain about, right? So, right. um, there's right off the bat, why are there two U.S. air marshals on a British flight on its way to London? I mean, if you know anything about the way airline, you know, air jurisdiction works, you know that once a a British plane, for instance, is off the ground, that becomes na- the national quote unquote soil of 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 Britain. Why were there U.S. air marshals on this flight? That doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Uh, I don't know a lot about that system, but that is a good point. Yeah, it, it made complete and total nonsense to me. Um, yeah. One of the members of this uh, of this flight just walks right on board with a uh, briefcase of cocaine. Just walks yeah. right on. We're not told uh, how he did this. Yeah, and I mean... I don't want to spoil anything right now either, but it even turns out it's more than cocaine and he walked past. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it just doesn't, I mean, okay, look, y- y- I will be the first person to tell you that most of what the TSA does is security theater, but there is no way that briefcase full of those things got past security. It's just not <laughs> right. possible. That's not possible. I mean, uh, yeah, look, I mean, the only way it's possible is if you got a TSA agent there who, who's, you know, he pushes the button on the x-ray and then he sort of looks over there and then it goes on through the x-ray and then he never looks at it and it, it never, I mean, come on, there, that thing would be setting off alarms though. I'm talking about automation here would catch that. That's just yeah. retarded. <laughs> and and yeah, conveniently, I, I mean, I conveniently, we didn't have to, we didn't see it, you know, how he got it through security. It just, it just was, it, it was, it was because the movie wanted it to be. Yeah, maybe maybe we're supposed to believe that he got through the same way that Neeson's character got through, but that I think that's completely different. Um, well, obviously it is very different. Neeson's character has his uh, concealed weapon, which is which goes along with his badge, and he just walks through when they wave him through because he's a U.S. Right, Air Marshal. He's, he's allowed. That's fine. Um, yeah, that, but, that makes uh, sense. 
But the <coughs> the other guy doesn't make sense. Yeah, it makes zero sense. But I, I, I think they, they were just trying to set it up to, for us to believe that since he's an air marshal too, and Liam Neeson got by with his gun, this guy was able to get by with whatever he wanted or needed to. Yeah, but they, I don't, just air marshal done. or not, you don't walk through with a bag of cocaine and the other, <laughs> no, other no, thing. No. This doesn't work. I'm just saying, I, I, I agree with you. I'm just saying that that might have been what they were trying to set up by not showing the other guy. Okay, the allegiance shift. Uh, and I, I like Corey Stoll. Um, he was a, a tremendous asset to House of Cards season one. Did you have you haven't watched it, have you? Not yet. I can just tell. I can just tell. I could hear it. I'm like, as soon as I said <laughs> it, I could hear it just emanating through my headphones. I haven't oh. seen that yet, TJ. <laughs> just just speaking of that, um, brief aside, Kevin Spacey presented an award or did some sort of thing in front of the microphone, and he first spoke as his character, Frank Underwood from Awesome. <laughs> so if you want to look that up, I'm sure you can find a clip on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so so Corey Stoll was a tremendous, tremendous asset to House of Cards. I like him as an actor. But but this this whole allegiance shift thing, like okay, first of all, he's a new he's a New York cop, and he's not acting at all like a cop. He's acting like a scared passenger, and uh-huh. you know I know that to some extent he is, but at the same time he is a seasoned New York cop. Like why is he acting like this? And he's acting like the marshal has no jurisdiction when he has complete jurisdiction. Like what what is with that? And then <laughs> okay, so then he nearly kills the guy. And all of a sudden, he switches allegiances just like that. No hard feelings. No, he didn't even really apologize. He's like, "Oh, uh, now I see that you're the good guy. I'll help you out." And done, <laughs> done, and done. Yeah. Uh, that that's lazy writing right there. Uh, yep, uh, for sure. Yeah, I, I was sad that uh, Lupita Nyong'o was sort of wasted here. Yeah, she was like had three lines in the whole film. I mean, she just walked away from the Academy Awards with Best Supporting Actress, and here she is playing a flight attendant with three and a half lines yeah. in uh, uh, an action film. But to be fair, my impression is that her landing that role in Twelve Years a Slave was somewhat of a landmark, and and it's you know kind of a, a breakout role for her. And before and, and this film was filmed, uh, or certainly filmed before that was really known that it was a breakout role for her, right? And and she was probably right. just, you know, they needed to cast somebody in this role that had three lines and people came and read for it. And, hey, what do you know? She did the best job. We'll, we'll get her. I'm sure that's <laughs> kind of the way that went down. But you do look at it in retrospect and go, huh, you know, they could have done a little better job with her. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. But, yeah. I don't know if um, I'd call it a shame as much as one of those things, you know. Yeah. Um, are we at the spoiler part yet? Yeah, can we, can we ring the spoiler bell? Yes, the spoiler bell has been rung. Ding, 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 ding. ding. Okay, here, here we go. Spoilers. Did do you think the other air marshal knew that he was carrying a bomb in addition to cocaine? No, I don't think so. But who knows? And who it doesn't really matter to the plot. But I don't think he did. I think that was like um, supposed. I think that was supposed to be a um, an additional surprise. Like they already knew this guy was smuggling cocaine, so they smuggled their bomb in with his cocaine. Okay. Which which brings me, of course, to my one of my major major script writing flaws. Um, okay, so these air marshals, the idea is that they just got locked down for these flights, maybe two days before the flight. How uh-huh. how did they they and then they did all this planning? Everything depended on these two people being on this flight at the same time. And they and they they spent way more time planning it than that. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> and then my other my other huge major gaping flaw with this film. Again, security theater or not, there's no way 
Marshall Bill Marks gets these texts and 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 calls his agents on the ground, and there's no way they just dismiss that. And, and that's exactly, I mean, like, they dismissed it completely out of hand and told the guy he was nuts, and they had the captain take his badge and his gun for no yeah. reason at all, because uh, other than the movie wanted to, it to be an antagonistic situation. That was the reason. Right. In in any not, uh, post-9-11 situation, that would not have happened. No, no. It's it Especially, I don't even think it would have happened before 9-11, but certainly well, post-9-11, no. you're right. You, you don't dismiss texts threatening. That's nonsense. And then the whole thing, well, the account was in your name. Oh, that's not a setup at all. I mean, you could smell that setup 100 miles away. <laughs> I mean, there's, that doesn't make any sense. The TSA responding the way they did. That was just nonsense. Yeah, well, Neeson's character even says later in the film, would, would I really try and get this kind of money with an account in my own name? Sure. Like, that, that just doesn't even make sense. Makes no sense whatsoever. And, um, and, but and, and speaking of no sense, the bad guy's plan makes no sense. I mean, yeah. all, planning and how they made it happen aside, why they made it happen makes even less sense, I think. The, the, uh, the whole idea is that by causing this huge security thing uh, fiasco, security will be even more uh, safe on land, which it, it, I didn't pick that up watching the film. I didn't think it was explained very well in the moment, and it, it just doesn't make sense in retrospect either. Well, I mean, I got it when they were saying it. I just, I'm, I'm sitting here, that was like the big downfall of the film, and you're, you're sitting here going, just your mouth is sort of hanging up and going, <laughs> that was your plan? That's a not a great plan uh, to to borrow uh, to borrow uh, Iron Man's uh, right. <laughs> not a great plan. <laughs> Just, what were you thinking? Okay, so you're you're angry that security is so lax that you can do this because of the harm it will bring to innocent people, and so you're going to continue with this plan because you want to harm these innocent people to prove the point that these innocent people can be harmed that you want to protect. <laughs> Makes no sense. Yes. The oh, it, it, it's it's oh boy. I hate to get political, but I just can't help it. It's kind of like when George Bush says, um, "We're going to uh, save the American capitalist system by the American free market system by abandoning free market principles." Wait, what? What? <laughs> Stupidest thing that uh, you know. For, Bush had some great, said some great things in the course of his life over of presidency, but that was not one of them. <laughs> and and so it's sort of the same thing. It's like you're going to save these people by killing them. No, no, you're nuts. That just makes no sense. And, and rem- so so somebody that insane to think that way would not be sane enough to pull off that plot the, 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 of the hijacking of that plane. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, this doesn't really connect, but the way you just said that reminded me of Ron in uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. You're go- you're you're going to be sad. But you, you're going to be happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly which scene you're talking about it. Yeah. yeah that's be. just what that, the way you said that reminded me of. But, uh, you know, I mean, all of these complaints aside, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, we're essentially we're film critics, right? We're not universally yeah. recognized, but that's what we do. And, right, right. And so we're going to have criticisms of a film if there are any to be had. But you're right. I mean, I did enjoy the film. I feel like sometimes when I complain about a film, people weigh my complaints heavier than my my likes, and I I did enjoy it. Again, it's a three out of five star film, so it's not perfect. It has you know, and a three star film is gonna for me is gonna have quite a few complaints, um, right. not as many as we talked about with Monuments Men, of course. 
Uh-huh. Uh, but I certainly, I certainly did enjoy the film. I, I was not sorry that I went and saw this film. And I, you know, I would even, even at three stars, I would say, sure, yeah, go see it. It's, it was a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of where I stand. You know, something I think we can be thankful for is it didn't get more ridiculous in the third act. Um, no, th- there was there was one moment when he was the plane was descending and uh, the co-pilot um, bunks his head. I thought that he had passed out and that Liam Neeson was going to have to climb into the cockpit and land the plane. Yeah, I thought, I thought that, that, that too. For a brief second, but I'm so glad that they, that they didn't do well, that. Well, and it's like that. It's like that. We saw that and then it was like it never happened. I almost feel like it was supposed to be cut. And, you know, it's weird because, you know, there's no way that film made it out of there without, you know, several you know, screenings for lots right. of different people. And yet it's like that really that, that, like that should have been cut. That, that didn't make any sense. But yeah, you're right. I, I did have that fleeting feeling of, oh, my gosh, there's no way. <laughs> no, come on. OK, so the plane is nearly on the ground and we're going to have to get Lee and Leeson all the way from the back of the plane to the front of the plane. And he's going to have to read that instruction manual really fast. I mean, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I'm glad that it didn't go there. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, overall I was, I was very happy with it. And, and I actually didn't feel like, you know, a lot of people have been complaining about the third act. My only complaint with the third act is the revealing of the nonsensicalness of the, of the plot of, of, of the, you know, the reason for hijacking the plane. And, and other than that, I didn't feel like it actually got that nonsensical. I felt well, like the, the third act held together pretty well. Yeah. And I really liked the, the, I mean, well, really, it's the only action part of the film in the last 25 minutes, and I thought it was lots of fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think flight crash sequences are just fun in general. I mean, Yeah, uh, they can well, be, although... In, in, in this kind of film, they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be here, but obviously in, like, flight from yeah, uh, I was gonna Robert say, Zemeckis, it's, it's that, gonna be that's hard not to, designed to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be hard to top that one, too. Like, that, that was the best plane crash sequence I've ever watched, mostly because you're... You're even though you know that he's going to make it out of this flight okay because the whole you have the whole film left and when you know Denzel Washington is a star you're still on the right. edge of your seat with that thing going wow is he going to make it is he going to is he going to make it is he going to make it and you know so yeah, yeah. This, this 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 plane crash was fine but it's not going to top flight anytime soon oh, no 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 but this <laughs> one I, I think that they did a good job of prop- <laughs> propelling it forward and keeping uh, it exciting. <laughs> uh, you just had to do that, didn't you? I did it by accident, but I'm glad I did. Okay. It was a happy accident. All right. So I've already mentioned three, three out of five. What's your star rating? Three and a half out of five. Just okay. because Liam Neeson is awesome. Yeah, he is awesome. I agree. Well, IMDb <laughs> certainly had a higher user rating, seven and a half out of 10. Uh, and even the critics enjoyed it better at 59%, basically 60%. So that's not, that's not horrible. The audience is at that's 73%. Yeah, it almost passes. It's still rotten, but almost passes. <laughs> yeah, only missed it by a percentage. Yeah, and interestingly, I was scrubbing through because I'm like, okay, who are these critics that don't like it? And I was scrubbing through, and there's a lot of red tomatoes. So, like, I don't know. There's, I mean, there's yeah. several green ones, but I'm not, I'm not sure how the ranking system on Rotten Tomatoes works, but well, it's a, it's a, an average. It's because basically right. they, they want a thumbs up or a thumbs down from the critic, and if, if the critic gives a thumbs up, then that raises the percentage. If it gives a thumb down, so the, the percentage is based on. Okay, so, so here, look. Uh, reviews counted 170 fresh 101 rotten 69 that's how they calculate it yeah so it's basic math i'm not very good at math but it's ba- it looks like basic, <laughs> it looks like basic math all right well we haven't actually made a determination about what we're going to be talking about next week because i think i would rather watch 300 rise of an empire and you would rather die a horrible death than watch that I think, <laughs> is what I was I, i've got a whole art I, i've got like seven wikipedia tabs open so i can argue with you right here about whether we should watch uh uh 
uh, either of the two films I recommended. Um, Are you ready? Face off. Okay, go. I'm not really going to argue with you, but go. <laughs> okay. The guy who directed uh, Mr. Peabody and Sherman directed The Lion King. So, he- yes, you're and. a Lion King hater. Yes. And. <laughs> and then, no, Lion what? King is fine. <laughs> In the jungle, the mighty. <clears throat> and then the other film, The Grand Budapest Hotel, no. directed by. Why don't you want to see that? It just looks awful. But this is coming from a director whose last two films are at 93 and 94% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. What were those films? The Fantastic Mr. Fox and Moonrise Kingdom. I haven't seen either of them. Me neither. Words, well, I've, I've seen Fantastic Mr. Fox. But your words I'm, I'm mean nothing. Saying. And then 300 Rise of an Empire is direct or is a sequel to a film that only has 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's produced by the guy who directed the film you hated last year. Oh, I know. I know. I know that for sure. <laughs> so I, I, I'm. Oh, it's, I mean, 300 is very Zack Snydery, but, but not in a way that really made me hate it the way I hate Man of Steel. Yeah. But I, I mean, 300 was not like, you know, everybody talks, certain people at least talk, oh, it's, it's the epitome of a man's film and it's such a great film and ooh la la, you know, and, and I, it was fine. Uh, yeah, maybe the reason I didn't like it very much is because of the overhype. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I feel like I mentally underhyped it because I I knew that it was being overhyped, and so I like I like counteracted it. I think maybe, and that's how I was able to watch it and go, yeah, it was fine. Because yeah. if, if I had believed the hype, I will I will, get, I will tell you this: if I, if I had believed the hype, I would have walked away from that film going, uh, guys, we need to have a conversation. <laughs> but you know, I knew that it was being overhyped because I I overhype films. I'm you know, and so. It's kind of yeah. what nerds do sometimes. So, but all right, fine. We'll, we'll, I, I'm just I'm just curious why you don't want to see Mr. Peabody and Sherman. Okay, fine. That's what we'll watch. <laughs> you win. Uh, if it, you win. If it, if, it, if it softens the blow, it's got a 92 percent of Rotten Tomatoes right now, so it's supposed to be really good. It just looks so cheesy. It looks so fun. It's time travel. There's so many time travel films coming out this year. By the way, I forgot You've I was got- talking to Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Back to the Future over there. Yes, sir. And uh, see, you've got this one coming out. You've got uh, the Tom Cruise Edge of Tomorrow coming that, out. That I want to see. That that looks me good. too. But that, the, that the doesn't look action like Groundhog Day. That doesn't look like time travel so much as I, I, I consider it a little bit different when it's repeating events. Like, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, not like true a loop. Time travel, yeah, but it, it it is repeating time, um, and so it sort of falls into that sort of vein of film yeah, but say, there's say another you, one coming out yeah say what you will about tom cruise but he rare he rarely lets me down yeah and so anyway all right well mr peabody and sherman whatever it is sure we'll yeah. do that all right awesome. so that's what we're talking about <laughs> next week you win you win so now yeah. that now that you've won this duel people will no doubt want to follow your uh your escapades on the twitters and, and things like that so tell, tell us <laughs> tell sure. us about that Okay, uh, my personal site is chadlikesmovies.com, which I will hopefully be updating soon. Um, you can find me on facebook.com at uh, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins and then Twitter at twitter.com slash chadadada. C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Boom. Yep, and you can uh, follow me on Twitter too if you want to uh, keep up with me and my uh, tail tucked between my legs from this uh fight to the death uh you can do that at uh, twitter.com slash tj draper pro 
uh, I tweet about all manner of things, not just movies, and I try to keep it fun and interesting and controversial. So follow me there. Uh, you can also follow uh, Movie Byte on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash moviebyte. You be sure to keep up with uh, daily postings at moviebyte.com. Uh, and if you like this podcast, uh, be sure to let your friends know about it. Get them to subscribe. Give us a star rating in iTunes. Five stars would be wonderful if you wanted to do that. And uh, we'll be with you next week to talk about Mr. Peabody and Sherman. Until then, yeah. uh, have fun at the movies. See you later, Chad. Bye. <laughs>